2: This is Make it M.I.P. With Mark, Mark Thompson. Make it Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to Jackson, Mississippi, uh, and talk to a dear sister. First of all, this is Women's History Month. I think it's important we definitely highlight African-American women, African women in this month. Uh, And this is a sister who is following in the footsteps of her dear parents, who I was blessed to have an opportunity to sit at the feet of on more than one occasion. And uh, she's picking up that baton and doing a lot of great work, first in support of her father's campaign in Jackson, who was Jackson Mayor Chokwe Lumumba. And now her brother who has succeeded her father, and she's doing a lot of great work in addition Of course, we also know her as the founding director of the People's Advocacy Institute, we'll hear about that. And she's also the co-director of the Electoral Justice Project of M4BL, the Movement for Black Lives. Our revolutionary sister joins us now, Sister Rakia Lumumba. Peace to you, sister. Happy Women's History Month.
1: Peace, thank you, thank you so much. It's a great month to be a part of.
2: That's right. That's right. How, how are you feeling as this month begins about, I mean, we just saw what happened in November. People are finally recognizing Rekia, the role that black women play electorally if it weren't for y'all. Donald Trump still be the president. If it weren't for y'all, we wouldn't have a black woman vice president. If it weren't for y'all, we wouldn't have a Senate majority. How are you feeling about the, the way the role of women is being recognized?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm feeling it's about time, right? I'm feeling it's about time. Uh, You know, women have been at the backbone of this movement for human rights and civil rights since the beginning of time. I mean, when we think about, I mean, we can go back to Africa, but let's just start right here in this country, right? When we're talking about um, ending slavery, right? And, And the role that so many women, black women in particular, played in that movement and, that, and, and gaining our freedom. From Harriet Tubman to Sojourner Truth, um, moving up you know, even closer in history to Ida B. Wells and, and her stance. Even after folks in NAACP, including the men in NAACP, told her, don't publish that stuff. Don't write that stuff. Don't put out signs talking about a man has been lynched today you know, Ida B. Wells, a Mississippi girl, uh, I'm here in Mississippi for, for those that don't know, um, you know, she, she, she stood her ground and said, we must tell our own stories. We must share that narrative. And so women have always been there. I mean, I even think about, you know, the amazing Fannie Lou Hamer, um, taught us how to continue to push and fight and, and who really was to a great extent, um, one of the, uh, uh, reasons why we have the 1965 voting rights act in the first place um but then if we we journey a little bit further to the teachings of ella baker right ella baker is the first one not the first but one of the loudest and consistent uh women black women in our history that reminded us that we must take on collective leadership that we have to understand uh, the role of every member in our community as a leader and understand what their role must be to lead, right? Um, To move us towards something greater and better. And so uh, I think it's the teachings of that has brought us to this place where we see a movement for black lives, where we see uh, a movement um, uh, that that many folks know as Black Lives Matter, right? Um, Led by black women, again. Um, when we look at even the, as you mentioned, the the the, the time now where we see a, a black woman vice president, we see a progressive leadership. We know it's because of the organizing that black women have done, and not at the expense of black men, right? But with black men, as we've always done, and um and so I just I, I, I just you know I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like it's about time, and um. Yeah. So thank you.
2: Do Do you think the tragedy of Breonna Taylor has also finally awakened people to the reality that black women are as susceptible to racist violence and racist police violence as are black men?
1: Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. I think our dear sister Tamika Mallory and all of the folks in um, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, who stood up and stood out, um, uh, our, our dear sister. Chantel, who stood up and stood out and continued to fight for um, justice for Breonna, made it boldly known that we're dying as well. Um, I think we've seen this loud outcry around the death of Black women many times before. We think about Rakia Boyd. Uh, We think about uh, um, our dear sister Sandra Bland. Um, So many. Um, And there was an outcry. But just like there's an outcry of black women uh, for the death of black women, there have been an outcry for the death of black men. And we still haven't seen the change that we need to see. And what we're pushing right now is for folks to really take up the mantle and begin to push for legislation known as the BREED Act. And this is an act that really uh, helps to end state violence um, on a federal level, but can also be adopted on a local level. So I ask folks to go to breatheact.org, breatheact.org, and and really look at that, support it, sign up to support it, and then implement it also locally by creating uh, a local Breathe Act in your city, in your state, because the time for for, for acknowledging these steps is done. We shouldn't have to acknowledge these steps. We need to stop it. We need to end it. Um, And so, you know, shout out to um, Charlene Carruthers and, uh, you know, the, the brilliance of um, Andrea Ritchie and all of those who came up with the saying, say her name, right? Came up with, the, with the, the, the report and the book that really initially helped us understand that black women are dying as well. And then I would be remiss to say that trans women are dying as well. I would be remiss not to mention that trans women are also dying and our, our, our trans uh, folks are, are dying and our gender non-conforming folks. And so it's important that we acknowledge that as well.
2: In addition to advocating for the brief, what else is the Electoral Justice Project working on right now?
1: Yeah, so, you know, right now, the Electoral Justice Project, we're really working on building the local infrastructure everywhere that Black people are. And so last year, we had the, the uh, beautiful opportunity to host the Black National Convention. Um, the Black It was, unfortunately, it was virtual, but it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful representation. Of all the amazing work and wins that black people across this nation have seen. So I really encourage folks to, to go back and look at that. Because if you need a little encouragement during this time of, of, of such distress, you know, um, go back and look at it because we win it. We are winning. And sometimes it's important to, to remind ourselves about our wins so that we can continue to push on. So uh, you can go to the electoral justice. Project.org and watch that the Black National Convention. It was produced by Dream Hampton through the brilliance and, and uh, executive production of, of Jessica Byrd and my team, Kayla Reed and, and, and myself, and, the, and a number of folks. And so, you know, folks look that. Right now, we're also pushing for folks to to really understand and and take hold of a Black agenda that we call the Vision for Black Lives. And this Vision for Black Lives touches every issue area that. We, as Black people, have been forced to raise as priorities in our lives, and so from reparations to health care to jobs and employment to economic sustainability overall to policing and state violence to also criminal justice, we are doing and doing what we need to, and this is a, a blueprint for us.
2: Also, Rikia, if you would, tell us a little bit about the uh, People's Advocacy Institute and and the work you're doing there.
1: Yeah. So the People's Advocacy Institute, we are what we call an incubator for transformative justice in the South. It was a project that was a brainchild of me and my father back in 2001, uh, when I first started law school and had the opportunity to sit at his feet and learn from him in the courtroom and in the prisons and jails, visiting clients, taking notes. And really, we, we, we oftentimes on our way back from uh, many rural communities in Mississippi after working with um, somebody, been unjustly incarcerated or given an unfair sentence. We talked about how the system was just so inadequate and so harmful in itself by causing people to have to pay for their own defense in order to have a good defense. Um, and so, you know, wanted to create not only a, a center or an institution that taught people how to defend themselves, but also provided them with the resources to do more than that—to actually engage in, in in creating a new system of justice, one that didn't rely on incarceration, and also uh, a system of justice that actually created what we call participatory. uh democracy, right, um, where we were had the opportunity to be educated and motivated to engage in all forms of, of political development, including that electoral piece. And so at the People's Advocacy Institute, we merge the theory of electoral justice with um, what we call criminal justice, right? And so we merge those two things and we push forward a new agenda that is really based on restoration, transformation. Um, a reduction of harm to our communities and our people, um, and community-led solutions to our existing problems. And so we we lead people's assemblies here in Mississippi as a as a form of people's governance. Um, we also um, uh, provide alternative uh, to incarceration programs and diversion programs, and help community members develop their own. Um, and then we also uh, work to engage in what we call participatory defense. And so we help folks who are lingering in prisons and jails get out through our Mississippi Bail Fund Collective, as well as through um, our just basic legal support services. Right now, we're working on the case of Leonard Henderson, who was sentenced to 228 years in Angola prison. Um, it's time for Lennard to come home. That is a, a ridiculous and unjust and inhumane sentence um, and uh, no life. No life was lost in anything that he was charged with, Um, and uh, it's all about capitalism. And so we recognize this, and, and, and we're doing the work. I'm Danielle Moody. I'm Toure. Be sure to check out Democracy-ish, where we channel the frustration, rage, and absurdity that was the 2020 election, as well as discuss the current state of the political climate and our country from a Black perspective.
2: New episodes available every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you stream your podcasts. All of the incredible work you're doing with for Black Lives and Electro Justice Project, the People's Advocacy Institute. Are you going to be the Stacey Abrams of Mississippi? And by that I mean that you know, I've been talking to Mike Espy, I've been talking to your brother. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, I didn't say this at first. Um uh uh, uh Rakia's brother is the mayor of Jackson now. And uh, I'm his
1: campaign manager.
2: And I've been campaign for the first manager time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Again, black black women making it happen happen, y'all. That's right. <laughs> and you know, there's a template there's a recipe, there's a formula mm-hmm. to flip Mississippi if we get our people together. So is that you, are you gonna step in that I'm not necessarily trying to pressure you <laughs> to run in for office, but are you gonna be the one to lead that charge that we can try to flip Mississippi?
1: You know, I, I I hope I'm helping to lead it now, but there's a lot of black women around me who are helping to lead it too. You know, um, from the Shambi Lambright, who's been doing this for over a decade, who uh, uh, is over One Voice Mississippi, To Danielle Holmes, who is over the Mississippi Poor People's Campaign and the regional poor People's southern regional poor people's campaign. To Arika Bennett, who's leading the youth engagement, um, registering thousands. I mean, she's registered over 30,000 young people in the state of Mississippi. You know, it's black women here leading this work. And we've seen some change. We've seen some change. We've seen counties switch um, to, to, to progressive. And we're looking forward to seeing more. And so I'm a part of it. I, I hope to continue to be a leader in it. And we'll see. We'll see. But we—it's it, gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It's just—it's just figuring out, you know, how long it's gonna take us. But it's gonna happen.
2: It's yeah. Gonna happen. Well, that's good. And and we we appreciate your discipline. And 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 it's no, it's no small thing to go back to the south and do that. A lot of us are doing that more and more. You were here in New York at one time, I believe. Yeah. In years, yeah, in years. So, so y'all ain't no small thing to go from the big apple to Jackson, you know, that's, <laughs> that's an adjustment. Bless the sister's heart. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know if I'm made for that, look. but uh,
1: <laughs> well, look, look, look. My father said he used to always say, Come on, let's not compare plantation to plantation,
2: right? Right, <laughs> right. The right, only right.
1: difference is that in New York, we got a little more resources, yeah, the Mississippi. You know, a lot of folks, you know, are, are a little nervous to send us more resources because they, they can't see the vision that we see down here around how close change is. So, you know, <laughs>
2: I can dig it. No, you, yeah. This plantation up here just got a little more bells and whistles. It's, that's it, right. it's, you know, that's all. It's, it's shinier, <laughs> but it's still a plantation. We, we know this. Talk to us. People are concerned. What's going on with the water crisis in that? Uh, yeah, the
1: water crisis here is a, is a real serious climate change and neglect situation you know our water truck our water infrastructure here has been in need of great assistance for a very very long time um, the state has neglected um, to provide us with the resources we need to fix it and so folks many folks after the winter storm that we experienced which really and, and I want to be clear with folks was really an ice storm for us it was it was as if we were in a city that was uh, completely uh, a ice skating rink uh, everywhere you looked all it was was ice ice over everybody's driveways streets you could not move um it's a, and that's a difference than snow and considering the fact that most people here don't even own a coat you see that it's it's february and now i'm back to wearing just my little jacket right um so our infrastructure here can't withstand that that weather anyway and so we know that the number one issue is that climate change is real and that it hits black communities and brown communities and indigenous communities harder than it hits anywhere else. And the reason why is that we know it's that neglect. It's the neglect of our communities by the state and by the federal government. Our communities are not built to withstand that and it's time for that to shift. Here in in Jackson, the state has been blatantly disrespectful, has willfully neglected our conditions here as soon as black leadership took office. And now their narrative is that black leadership is to blame for our infrastructure problems when these infrastructure problems existed for the past 50 years, right? Before black leadership even came into office. And so this this continued attempt to to to, to degrade uh the work and the will of, of what people here are doing and the failure to provide us with the proper resources. Right. To even take care of the solution, take care of our problems um, and get to a solution is, is, is you know, it's is just a prime example of white supremacy. It's a prime example of capitalism uh, for the means of oppression and oppressing the people, the very people um, that are paying taxes and, and deserve um, the right to, to live and be and exist in human conditions. There is no excuse why our folks are still without water. The state has every opportunity to come in to help us fix these pipes, give us the resources that we need to ensure that we not only fix the pipes temporarily, but that we create a sustainable system where no person, no person in Jackson or in any rural community, because the governor doesn't tell you that they haven't even provided water support to the rural communities, which are predominantly black and brown, that were impacted by the storm. So everybody's talking about Jackson. And Jackson is in a bad situation, but so is Washington County, so is Atala County, Port Gibson, Mississippi, Hermanville, Mississippi, all of these black spaces, and, and the list goes on and on and on. Greenwood, Mississippi, Greenville, Mississippi, all black spaces, all that have been neglected by the state to provide resources for our infrastructure. And it's resources that are ours, that we deserve, that we pay taxes to you. And even if we didn't pay taxes.
2: Right, Jackson, even if. That- so, so are they just refusing to budge? They've just literally on using anger right now.
1: The state is um, is is refusing to provide us with the subsidies that we need, um, and have been for a long time. Um, we had asked for uh, our our administration, current administration, had asked for assistance um, last year during the last uh, legislative uh, session, and the state denied water assistance to us. Um, denied the the bill that would have provided that. It would have provided it to us and a number of other poor communities, poor rural communities within the state. The state also um, at this point in time uh, provided us with some water support so they came in and they filled our tanks um, but has not been significantly helpful in, in doing long-term support in terms of fixing the pipes which are uh, eroded and old at this point and just, you know, across the city, it needs to be, needs to be fixed. So we got to put some pressure on that. You know, the biggest mistake that I think our governor made was that it failed to call for a, a national emergency and failed to ask for federal assistance through FEMA. And it is the state's responsibility to, to do that. And so where we see people in Texas receiving, um, you know, support, even support for food that they lost during those days of the winter storm. Um, for housing. It has been community members. It has been organizations like the People's Advocacy Institute, organizations like the Mississippi Poor People's Campaign, um, organizations like Mrs. Move that have really stood up and taken up the responsibility to care for ourselves, to care for our people. So we've been housing people in in large numbers through the support of the uh, Southern Power Fund and the Movement for Black Lives. We've been providing people with water daily. We've been providing folks with uh, drinkable water and flushable water. We forget about the, the need for flushable water. We've been providing people with food, hot meals, right? Nobody cook. And we're now looking to see how are we going to be able to raise enough money to provide people with the vouchers they need to actually care for some of the utility bills, the repairs, and the food that people now have to choose. Do I go buy more groceries or do I pay for the utility bill, Or do I pay my rent? because they lost all their food during this winter storm over the past two weeks. Um, So it's been community members, and it's been small municipalities, so aldermen, mayors. You know, we've been working with the mayor of Jackson, the mayor of Port Gibson, aldermen in in several different counties, and, and they have not even received any assistance from the state. And so helping, it's been a real community, public, private effort from community members and local municipalities.
2: Those listening, Sister Akia, what can they do? Is there any thing people around the country can do uh, to help? Even donations, or for that matter, contacting the governor. What would you ask people to do?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Folks can definitely go to Act Blue and donate to the Mississippi Winter Storm Rapid Response um, Fund. That is the Mississippi. Winter Storm Rapid Response Fund. It is a fund that we've created to help support grassroots organizations on the ground that are providing relief to community members. Um, and this across the state. Uh, and so it's in Jackson as well as we provide assistance to rural communities. Lastly, I would say um, please also spread the word. A lot of people didn't know that Mississippi was hit by the storm. And we had a lot of deaths here, a lot of people suffering, and we need the support. Um, And we're in this for the long haul. We're not just here um, to provide people with relief right now. We wanna make sure that we create the infrastructure to ensure that as more disasters like this occur, that we are prepared. We are prepared to protect our people. And so we're looking at what does it mean to have relief hubs across our state, especially in black communities and indigenous and in brown communities. What does it look like to make sure that every resident has a a, a relief kit um, to ensure that people are safe? We know that climate change is real, and we have to engage in climate justice. And so we we're, we're organizing our people as we're we're providing them with that relief. I encourage everybody to also follow the Red, Black, and Green New Deal by the brilliance of our sisters, Colette Pitchum Battle, Pishawn Battle and um Valencia Gunder. And I appreciate you, I appreciate you, yeah Appreciate
2: you. We appreciate you and all you're doing. Proud of all the work. We're gonna be letting people know about the Mississippi Rapid Response Fund. I just got some calls before we started talking, folk who wanna get involved and do something. So we're gonna get fully behind you. Our dear sister Rakia Lumumba, folks, we're gonna be hearing more and more from her. Look out for her, She's doing, been doing great things and is gonna be doing even greater things. Uh, for our people, we appreciate her. God bless her, and God bless uh, her parents as well, who are great ancestors of ours. Now, and she is uh, continuing uh, in their legacy, and we're so thankful. I know they're proud of the sister. I know that for a fact. So,
1: to to me,
2: thank, you. Yeah. thank you, Rikia. Thank you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been May Plain.